How is everybody? Good. 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 Uh, it's good to be with you. Um, get to come together and worship. Um, last few times I've been up here, uh, I've told you um, about our like our trips and dinners that we had on our trips. So our first night in Rome, um, <laughs> we were told about this great spot. Um, it's right there, like it's right around the block from our Airbnb. It's supposed, to, it's really good, authentic Italian food. It's gonna like it's, it's just the greatest. You should definitely go there. Make sure that you go there uh, at some point. And so we're like, hey, first night, let's go. Uh, we we went, we found it. Um, we had dinner. It was great and it was perfect and there was no problems. So I just wanted you to know that that did happen at one point. Um, so like it was like we did have. Uh, good dining experiences on our trip. I didn't want you to think that we're completely incompetent when it comes to, <laughs> to eating out. Um, but I digress. So let, uh, let's pray and we'll get started this morning. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and that we, uh, we get to, uh, to take a chance to study it. And, and God, I pray that we would, uh, we would go beyond just looking at your word for knowledge purposes or for some way to better ourselves, but that we would understand more about you and we would see more of your plan and that it would shape our lives. Um, God, I just pray that, uh, that you are here this morning and that, uh, that your presence is felt as we study your word and then as we continue to worship and just thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so if you would like to, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, that's where we'll find uh, our parable today. And uh, as, you, as you turn there, I just uh, want to talk a little bit about why Jesus taught in parables. And um, it, it's this great... Uh, these great stories that, that paint these lasting pictures. And a lot of times he would say the kingdom of, of heaven is like, and then he would tell this story because it, it sticks with us and it, and it resonates with us. So much so that, that you may have never been in, in church at all in your life, but you probably know what a good Samaritan is. Or you, you might have never studied the Bible, but you've heard of the golden rule. And uh, the parable that we're going to study today is another one that, uh, that you will hear people quote a lot to you. Uh, one verse in here gets said a lot, but I think is largely misunderstood for its intent. Um, so hopefully, as we, as we work through it today, we'll, uh, we'll see that a little bit and it'll become a little more clear. Uh, so Matthew chapter 7. Uh, verses 1 through 6. Uh, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why would you see uh, the speck in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly Just take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So we've all heard that, right? Judge not, lest ye be judged. And a lot of times, 
we hear that when, or we say that when we do something that we know that somebody's going to look down on us on, or, and so we go, hey, judge not. Don't judge me. Like we hear that a lot, right? Like, well, you shouldn't judge. Don't judge. And this starts off that way. Judge not lest ye be judged. But we largely don't understand what it means because we hang on to a thing, a couple of things that it doesn't mean. And so that's where I want to start. What does it not mean? What is he not saying? When he says, judge not lest ye be judged, what is he not saying? Well, the first thing he's not saying is uh, it doesn't mean that everything is okay. This is not Jesus saying like, hey, whatever somebody's doing, it's fine. Just move past it. It's we're all good. Everything, everything is okay. In 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 4 through 10, it says this, Everyone who, t- who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, do not, be, uh, do not let one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whomever takes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one, is bo- no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God, and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we see right there, it's, it's very clear that, that sin is not to be tolerated. Sin isn't a thing to be glossed over. Sin isn't a thing to be looked past or ignored or just like taken to the side. This is not, judge not lest ye be judged, is not an admonishment for you to say, well, there is no right or wrong. It's okay. Everybody has their own path. We can just kind of do what we want. I can do what I want, and I can find my own way. And if you disagree with me, I'll tell you, hey, don't judge me. You're not supposed to judge me. And I can, I can just go on living my life. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can, it be, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And so a lot of people like want to put this concept out there of like, well, God forgives me of everything, and so if I can be forgiven of everything, and Jesus' blood can cleanse me of everything, then I can kind of do whatever I want, and it's okay. Like, it's all right, like, when it's over, I'll say it, I'm sorry, and he'll forgive me, and it, it's just okay. And I want you to know that no matter what you've done, Jesus' blood is enough to forgive you and cleanse you of your sin. But if you know him, you don't continue to walk in that sin. You don't continue to walk in that because you're changed. Um, I heard a sermon by J.D. Greer, and he gave an excellent illustration, and so I'm going to steal it right now. Uh, He said, if if I were to stand in front of you today and you say, man, how how was your weekend? I said, yesterday I got hit by a truck. Like I was standing out in the middle of the street, and this huge truck came and just ran right over me. You would say, no, that, that's not true because you'd be all mangled up. Like, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be, like, you would be broken and bent. Like, you would look different. And I want to tell you that the love of Christ is such that if you encounter it, you will be different. 
There's a decided impact to your life, to knowing God and being and your relationship to God being restored through the blood of Christ changes you. Now, does it make you perfect? No, it doesn't make you perfect. But it is this calling, it is this pulling. You will be pulled in a direction away from sin because you have died to sin. So judge not lest you be judged. It's not to say everything's okay. And then um, it is also not to say that everyone is okay. In, uh, if you'll look further down in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is another really important thing for us as Christians to understand, that if we, if we look at other people and we say, well, I'm not going to talk to that person about their need for Jesus because that would be me judging them. I'm just going to let them go do whatever they want to do. I'm going to let them live their life how they want to live it. I'm going to let them find God in their own way. I'm going, to, I'm going to say that their religion is all right, like everybody, we're all kind of the same. If we do that, we are letting that person go by that wide path straight to destruction. So judge not lest you be judged is not telling you, like, hey, just let everybody kind of do what they want. Everybody's fine. Everybody's okay. We all get in, and it's just, you know, if you tried hard, you're good. We know that that's not the truth. We know that that's not the reality. So for us to ignore what's going on around us and us to ignore the need in people's life is not what God is wanting. It's not the intention of this parable. So, what does it mean? One, it means, like, one, this parable relays to us uh, the greatest sin. And the greatest sin is self-righteousness. The greatest sin is saying, I have everything figured out my way, and that when I need help, I come to myself. That's the log in the eye. And there's, there's a lot of parables that, that you have to kind of like dive into, like the real meaning behind the words and the culture and things like that to really understand. But this one, this one translates straight into today. There's not, like, there's not some meaning for log and speck that, that we don't understand. Like Jesus is, is, plank, is painting this clear picture of irony here, of saying like, how can you go to someone and say, hey, like, let me help you out with that speck in your eye when you've got a log in your own eye. Like, this is, this, he is purposefully making this ridiculous image for us to really understand what's going on here. And so, for us, like, the, the log in our eye is self-righteousness. It's that that we talked about last week when the Pharisee came in and he prayed to himself. See, we, when we find righteousness in, our, in and of ourselves then we start looking around at people and we start judging people to say, well, I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. I, like, my relationship with God is, is superior to him or her, and so I'm able to stand in a place and look down to them and be like, hey, let me help you out. Like, I see you down there. Like, you need to fix this. Like, there's some stuff in your life that you, where you've clearly messed up, and I'm going to tell you how to fix it. And Jesus is painting this picture of if you are self-reliant and if your, if your righteousness comes in and of yourself and your efforts, 
then you have no business telling anybody else what's wrong with their life or how to fix what's going on with them. Uh, and I wanted to I want to tell a a quick story from the Old Testament. Um, you've all probably heard of King David, and uh, he was the second king of Israel. Saul was the first king, and uh, he disobeyed God, and so God removed him and put David in place. And uh, you know the story of David and Goliath, and David wrote many, many psalms. The Bible said David was a man after God's own heart. And so David is this great man of God, but at one point in his life, he found himself in a place where he shouldn't have been. You see, there was a time of year where the kings went out to war, and the armies of Israel had gone out to war, and David stayed behind. Rather than going to where he should have gone and, and following God's call to go lead his nation, he stayed behind, and he stayed in his palace. And one night he goes up to the roof and he looks out and he sees a woman taking a bath uh, across the way and he is attracted to her. He finds her beautiful and he sends for her. Her name was Bathsheba because she was taking a bath. If she was taking a shower, she would have been shower Sheba. It's just for you to know, like, this, like if you have to read deep into it. But So he brings her over and he lays with her. And a few weeks later she sends and she, and she tells him, I'm pregnant. And so he then decides, well, we got to cover this up. So he sends for her husband to come back, and he tells her husband, hey, like, go stay with your, you've been away for a while, go stay with your wife. And so he's got it all worked out in his mind, like, this pregnancy won't be a problem. They'll think it's Uriah's, that's her husband's name. They'll think it's Uriah's, it's fine. And Uriah, being the faithful servant that he is, says, I can't go to my home when my men are out on the battlefield. I'm not going to do it. And so David, knowing how faithful Uriah is, writes a message to the commander and sends it with him. And the message says, hey, go into battle, and when it really starts to get thick, pull back everybody except Uriah. And that's exactly what happens. And Uriah dies in battle, and then David goes, and he takes Bathsheba to be his own, and, and everything seems to be fine then, we're just moving on. But then a prophet, Nathan, comes to David and he tells him this story. He says, hey David, there's something going on, we need you to, we, like, we need you to weigh in on this. There's a rich man who has lots of flocks and, and everything like that, and he's really well to do, and his neighbor is a poor man, has one little sheep, and that's all he has in the whole world. And the rich man had people coming in, and so he went and took the sheep from the poor man and slaughtered it for his meal. And David became outraged, and he stood up and he said, that man has to die. And Nathan turned to him and said, that man is you. Because you see, when there's unresolved sin in our life, that's when we become judgmental. That's when we start looking at people to tear them down because there's something nagging at us. There's something in our life that we haven't dealt with because we're trying to deal with it on our own. We're trying to solve our problems by ourselves. And when we haven't dealt with it, we look at other people and we say, you need to fix this and you need to fix that and you need to fix this because deep down we know that we're broken. And deep down I know that if I can tell you all these things that are wrong with your life, then somehow I can justify the thing that's going on with my life. And so that's where this judgment comes in. And that's where we have to then remove the log from our own eye and then help our brother, someone that we go to as a brother, who then we can go to in love and say, hey, I have, I have this story to tell you about how I was broken and about how I went to Jesus and he made me whole and I think he can help you too. 
and help them walk down that road, help them find that place where they have the same salvation that you have because they have the same need that you have. And this place where you can come about these things at love and say, hey, come with me, I know Jesus. Rather than, hey, fix all this stuff in your life. And so I want to tell you that if you find yourself in a place where you are picking the sins out in other people's life and you're saying, man, they're really messing up over here. That person really doesn't have this together. I can't believe so-and-so said that. I can't believe this, this and this and this. I'm telling you, there's probably sin in your life that's unresolved. There's something in your life that you're struggling with that you're trying to manage on your own and you can't, and so you have to tear other people down because of it. Now this judge not lest you be judged, this is why Christians have a bad reputation. This is why people don't like to come to church. This is why people get burned by church and why they leave. Because we as Christians don't deal with our sin. We, we rely on ourselves and we start picking apart other people's lives. Amen. And so Jesus gives us this parable to say, hey, Fix the sin in your life, and then you can see clearly, and you'll know the way to help your brother. Uh, Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So when we help someone, when we approach someone to say, hey, I see the brokenness in your life, I want to help you along, it has to come from this place of gentleness and this place of love, of bearing one another's burdens. Not a place of you need to fix this, but a place of like, let me help you. And that's such a drastic contrast to judgment. But it is not just saying everything's okay, everybody's okay, and we're all good. And then there's one, like, there's this final verse that we see at the end of this where it says, don't, uh, <clears throat> don't give dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. And that quite simply is telling you, hey, don't get in useless arguments. Don't get in stuff that is not, there, there's no end to we don't need to be in a place where we're fighting with people. We need to be in a place where we're coming from a place of love and saying, hey, I can help you. Like, my God is greater than what you have going on. But it's not for argument's sake. It's not for the sake of, of fighting or, or saying that we're better, that we're right. And so don't, like, don't cast your pearls before swine. Uh... It means that we are to live by love and not by judgment. Uh, I want to read one last thing to you. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And think about this uh, as a place. If we're, to, if we're to love and help our brother, and once we've dealt with the sin in our life and, we've, and that log has been removed by the cleansing blood of Jesus, and then we're to go help our brother with the speck in their life, this is how we're doing it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be, to be burned, 
but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but I shall be fully known, even but I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Remember our mission here to love God, love others, and make disciples. And loving others and making disciples does involve helping people move past the sin in their life and helping people identify the brokenness in their life, but it never comes from a place of judgment, and it never comes a place from I'm up high and you're down low. It always comes from a place of love and always comes from, I know the one who can help us. And I know how we can get there. If you see something in somebody's life that you identify as something ungodly and it doesn't drive you to pray for that person, that's where you're off. That's where you're missing it. If you're not filled for compassion with them and you're not desperately wanting to see them restored and desperately wanting to have them know Christ the way that you know Christ, that's where you're off. That's where we miss it. That's where we fall short. We have to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Love never fails. That's where we're to be. Uh, I want to do something briefly that we don't ordinarily do, and I don't know that we will do this often or ever again, depending on how this goes. <laughs> um, but I wanted to take some time just to ask if there's any questions. Now, I'll set up some parameters around this. This is not Stump the Chump. Um, Daniel, <laughs> don't ask me if God can make a rock too big for him to pick up. Like I'm, not, like, I'm not delving into that. I'm not going to tell you exactly how the end times are going to play out or anything like that. But as it pertains to what we've talked about right here... Um, are there any questions? If it's okay if there's not, but um, if you like, Oi, we can have a quick dialogue around things. So does anybody, does anybody have anything that is sticking out from what we've talked about today? And I maintain the right to refuse to answer the question <laughs> and get back to you later if I don't know the answer, because it's very, very possible. Anybody? Okay, we all completely understand. There's going to be no judgment from here on out. <laughs> we are good. All right. Uh, let's pray, and then uh, we're going to worship some more. God, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, for the way that you love us and uh, for giving us your word to learn how to live our lives. God, I pray that we would never look at others and see their brokenness and do anything but fill us with compassion and drive us to our knees. God, I pray that we would constantly seek you and that we would constantly see our need 
and that would cause us to love. God, I pray that we would not sit in judgment, that we wouldn't measure people against ourselves, but that we would always just point them to you. In Jesus' name.